Jonathan and Chelsea have a little dog, and I'm going <laughs> to pick on him a little bit, because uh, that way he knows I love him. They have this little dog that's a little bit bigger than a rat, and <laughs> cute little thing. <laughs> but uh, Jonathan has shared with me that the little dog has escaped the bounds, uh, the places where he should not have gone got into their garden and made a mess. And so Jonathan had to chase the dog out of the garden, and he bears the marks as he ran into the house. I'm not sure how you do that, Jonathan. (laughs) It's kind of hard to uh, hit a house sometimes. But nonetheless, if you look closely, you'll see the marks on Jonathan. Well, I want to bring that out because what you have in the Bible in Genesis 38 is someone who has escaped the bounds. He went out into places that he should not have gone. And he defiled himself, if you will. And someone had to pay the price. Someone bore the marks. Judah bore the consequences, but Jesus took the price. He took the price. And... I want to bring out chapter 38. I know those of you who were with us last week said, oh no, we've already done that one. Let's not do it again. It's important to understand chapter 39 in the context of chapter 38. I think they are meant to be side by side. You have two contrasting stories. In Genesis 38, you have Judah. He himself leaves his brothers on his own voluntary, his own idea. He gets involved with the Canaanites. And not only does he get involved with the Canaanites, he acts like the Canaanites. He gets out of bounds, if you will. This is supposed to be the tribe that God would bless the nations through. It was going to be the tribe that the Redeemer ultimately would come through. And not only would it be of Jacob's line, but specifically through Judah's line, as we find out later on. But nonetheless, he puts his own line in jeopardy and is... Uh, together with what he thought was a cult prostitute taking on the idols of the land. And we find the reason why God had prophesied earlier that there would be a time when this tribe would remove themselves or be taken out of the promised land and would be into another nation where they would be impressed. And we wonder why, God, what kind of thinking is that? And we find out why in chapter 38 that God would rather them be in a place where they are subject to racism, persecuted, where the the Egyptians don't want to mix with the Jews because they think they're dirty. And God thinks, you know, it's better that they be in that situation than to be in the promised land in Canaan and prosperity, but they uh, dilute themselves and no longer remain pure before me. Tells us a little bit about the priorities of God. And so in chapter 38, we have a picture of worldliness. Remember how we looked at 1 John chapter 2, how it's described for us what worldliness. He says, uh, he says, if you love the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it's not of the Father, but of this world. And we saw all three of those components in Judah's life and his son's lives. And then he goes on in 1 John chapter 2 saying that, well... That's not going to continue. This world and all of its lusts are going to go away. But the man who does the will of God abides forever. We get a picture of that man in chapter 39. The one who does the will of God. 
and we'll find the contrast. This man who, like Judah, while Judah has left his brothers, this man too, Joseph, has left his brothers, not volunteer, uh, voluntarily, but drafted, forced into it by, again, Judah. Same idea, same person. And we'll find that there's vastly different results with this man named Judah. That though he is in the world, as Jesus prayed in John 17, he said, I pray that they're not removed from this world, but in essence that they would not be of this world. uh, Joseph is our example. And so as we know, as we learn that and we see that background, I encourage you, if you've not read 38, to read it at some point uh, today. Not in the next 30 minutes. But let's instead read chapter 39. And in honor of this passage, let's stand as we read this together. Genesis chapter 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had, brought him, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he had to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am. Nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as he spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she called him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he left his garment in her hand and he fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that, I lifted up my voice and cried out. He left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. Whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. You may be seated. It's tempting. In fact, I have taught this passage 
uh, with the understanding that the main point of this is to teach us how to resist temptation because that's certainly what Joseph does. Uh, but I don't necessarily think that is maybe the overall point of this passage. Uh, in fact, if we want to learn how to resist temptation, well, I think the best place to go would be in the life of Jesus. Because it is in the life of Jesus that he is intended to teach us morality and how to live life. It is in the patriarchs of the Old and the Old Testament that we see these men, they teach us reality. They teach us this is how life often goes. And they may or may not be a good example. Uh, and so and here in this case, it happens to be that he is a good example. But I think the, the real point of this is God at work. In fact, you'll see it repeated over and over and over again in this chapter, the Lord was with Joseph. The book of Genesis is more about what God does and how he works in the intervention of, of history. Remember, it's the story of God bringing a redeemer. In fact, all of the Bible is the story of God bringing a redeemer throughout history. And so we find that again in Genesis 39 that God's still doing that. And now it's spotlighting on Joseph and how God is bringing a redeemer about. So it's important for us to look at what God is doing. And the main thing we learn here is that God was with Joseph. And we want to learn some lessons about that. There are some three main lessons we're going to learn about the God's presence that is here with Joseph. And I would argue from Matthew 28 that God's presence is also with believers who follow Jesus Christ. As Jesus himself promised in verse 20 that Jesus would be with us. And so with that thought in mind, let's kind of follow the story. In verse 1, we find that he makes his descent down into Egypt from the promised land and it's a descent not just geographically but also socially as he was in the favored position first he was descended into a cistern by his brothers and now we'll find that he is descending down into egypt as a precursor for the rest of the family we've got this man named potiphar he is a uh, the bible says an officer of the pharaoh or captain of the guard uh, some have speculated that he perhaps maybe is the chief executioner uh, the, the head of the police, uh, the CIA, the KJB. He is the enforcer for Pharaoh. Uh, and so this is a man to be feared in the realm of Egypt. And it is he who is, uh, well, buys Joseph. And so you can imagine uh, where Joseph was placed, perhaps maybe first with the sheep, as that was his specialty. But you can imagine that as time goes on, uh, he, he grows, and then the Bible eventually tells us that he gets to the, the top position as a slave, as a servant in this area. God has gifted him, evidently, with administrative abilities, leadership abilities, and it becomes known to Potiphar uh, the capabilities of this man. And so he becomes, as the verse 2 says, a successful man. We find that Joseph has a real love for Pharaoh's household or for Potiphar's household. Uh, we see this expressed in this time of temptation that will come to him. And so the first point I want to bring about this is that living, living before God's presence can bring promotion. Living before God's presence can bring promotion promotion and that's the key is living before god's presence it's as if joseph is aware that god was with him and so because he is there knowing that god sees him he does things differently he does things differently you see that uh, in verse three his his master saw that the lord was with him and so it was obvious to those who observed 
uh, Joseph, this man is a different man. He works differently. He lives differently. And let me just state, that should be the same for every believer in Jesus Christ. Why do we have a group of believers? Why do we have a group called Green Pines? Listen, from the Word of God, one thing that we know is that this group meets together as a community to encourage us, to teach us, to pray for one another so that we can live differently as we leave this gathering. If we are not living differently as we leave this gathering, we have lost the influence as believers. We've lost the influence as a church. Remember, Jesus said that we are to be as salt of the earth. We do things differently. And if we lose our saltiness, then what point are, do we have? And so let me just say that as we read this passage, here Joseph is, as far as we know, he is the lone believer and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this land of Egypt where there are many gods at the zenith of its power. And yet he is able to uh, maintain his walk with God. And what was the key thing? It was remembering that God was with him. He worked differently because he knew that God saw him work. Let me ask you, what do you do differently? Because God is there with you. Are you aware that God is with you? And so we see this real love that he has for, for the Potiphar. It's amazing to watch. Uh, and we see in verse 3 that because of Joseph's presence, his work there, the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. And not only in the hands of Joseph, but we find that Potiphar himself uh, gets blessed because of Joseph's presence. You remember how Genesis 12, God said that through this people, the peoples of the earth would be blessed. We see that happening with Joseph as he walks with the Lord. Uh, and so Joseph is, is recognized and he's made overseer of the house. He's in charge of all that he had. And verse 5 tells the extent of it uh, that there's really, there's nothing uh, that Potiphar had to worry about in verse 6 other than just what he ate. Isn't it amazing? Potiphar lived a charmed life at this point. I mean, can you imagine? Just do your work. And, you know, what's, what's for dinner? Let me get something to eat. And your investments are growing. Uh, your house is doing well. The servants are taken care of. Uh, it's a, it seems like a well-oiled machine and everybody's happy. Potiphar's happy. Uh, and so this is a wonderful thing that's going on here. And so he is being brought up and promised. Listen, when you work and you live your life as before the Lord... There will be some admirable qualities that come out that people will notice. And they, will, they can place you in promotion because of these things that can happen as it happened in Joseph's life. And now, verse 6, we get a, a little foretaste of things to come. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. This is the same description used of his mother, Rachel. You remember, this is the one that Jacob loved more than anyone else. That she, too, was handsome or beautiful in her form and her appearance. It was used also of a few other men in the Bible. Saul, David, and Absalom were some of them. Solomon were some of them. That this uh, adjective was also uh, referred to. And so this is obviously given for a point. This guy was the bachelor, if you will. I mean, he had all the places. I mean, he had it all together. He had uh, the wealth. Uh, or, you know, he, not necessarily wealth because he was a slave. Uh, everything that was coming to him was really not his money. It was Potiphar's money. But he had the power, uh, the prestige. He was a leader of men, a leader of women, and he was handsome. 
And so consequently, the, the, the chief lady of the house notices him. We see this in verse 7. His wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife. Now listen, there's a good reason that he brings out here. He says, look, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. He has put everything that he has in my charge, and he is not greater in his house than I am. Nor has kept back anything from me except yourself because you are his wife. First thing he brings out is his relationship with his master. There are human relationships that we need to keep in mind. But I think, I just want to bring out the fact that he loves, he seems to love Potiphar and has a concern for his house. Why is that interesting? It is, but one thing that keeps Joseph from going back to his family, to Jacob. It is the will of Potiphar. That's what keeps him there. And this one that keeps him from going to his family, yet he still has a genuine love and care for. He changes the culture of Potiphar's house. One, because he loves him. Let me just bring out something here. Dear believer, you who claim Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you who hate this world because it does turn you away from the Lord, let me just bring out this one point, that though we are not uh, of this world, we are still called to love this world. Let me ask you, as I brought out this past Wednesday, do you love your neighborhood? Do you love your town? Do you love your community? You can make a difference, and we're called to make a difference, but you've got to love your community. You've got to have a broken heart for Nightdale, for Raleigh, for Eastern Wake. That will make you or put you in places of influence. I just want to bring out uh, Elaine Holmquist. She was uh, announced as the Citizen of the Year by the town of Nightdale. And I read that and my heart rejoiced. I thought, someone's doing it. Someone's getting it. I wished, I wished that every year the town of Nightdale would recognize another member of this church. Because it would tell this community, this church loves this town. And they want its best. Not according to what the world says, but according to what God says. And that we make a difference. Joseph had that ability. He had that heart. Even though Potiphar was the one that kept him from going home. And now we keep on reading. What's the other reason? He says, you know, first it's my relationship with with Potiphar. I cannot lie with you. I cannot succumb to what you want, Mrs. Potiphar. Which, remember, how old is he? The Bible says that he was 17 when he was sold into slavery. The Bible goes on to say that when he was brought up into prominence as the prime minister, he was 30 years old. Two years before that, he interpreted dreams in prison. So he is somewhere within the realm of uh, 17 and 28. Now, guys, you know, when you're 17 and 28, there's not much that leaves your mind that doesn't involve the opposite sex. And here he is in the midst of that. And he says, no, I will not. One, because of my relationships with humans. You need to understand that what we do with our sex life does impact other humans. And if we do not believe that, we are greatly mistaken. But notice the second reason. 
Not only was there love for their neighborhood, love for his, his home, there was a love for God. We, we looked at this last week and we saw that this was the missing element in Judah's life uh, that Joseph had. Notice he says, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now let me ask you, is he sinning against God? What about Mr. Potiphar? Is he not sinning against Mr. Potiphar? Now Mr. Potiphar will be suffering. Mrs. Potiphar will also feel the damage of this. But let me tell you that it was not Mr. Potiphar's law that said thou shalt not commit adultery. It was God's law that says thou shalt not commit adultery. And so when he sins, he is sinning against God because it's God's law that he is going to be breaking. That's why uh, we have David, when he is uh, caught in his adultery, he says in Psalm 51, verse 3 and 4, he says, For I know my transgressions, my sin is ever before me, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. What is he saying? Uh, You know, I've hurt Uriah, in fact, I've killed Uriah, but my sin was against Uriah, it was against God, because God was the one that said, Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And so you need to understand that you are living before God. And it is God's law that we will either break or fulfill. Now, from this decision, we can ask this question. From what Joseph said, who is not Joseph's God? We know this by what he sacrifices. What he sacrifices. He sacrifices his own sexual desires. He sacrifices promotion. He sacrifices money and comfort so that he will honor God. And this brings out the second point about living before God's presence. Just as living before God's presence can bring promotion, you need to know something. Living before God's presence can bring problems. Can bring problems. There will be a price you pay. We live in a day and age that says on TV, on radio, and most media places, if you want your best life now, then live right before God. If you want prosperity, if you want comfort, you just need to have more faith in God. And if you have more faith in God, things are going to roll your way. I think Joseph might beg to differ with you. I think Jesus would probably beg to differ with you. Joseph said, you know, look at this. What did I do wrong? In fact, it is in doing what was right that I paid a price. Purity has a price. You pay for it. But it comes down to a question. What's worth more? What's worth more? Was his promise before Potiphar or the household, was it worth more than his place before God? And he made a decision and says, no, my God is more important. I will sacrifice. I will sacrifice for my God. We know we can discern what your God is by what you sacrifice. When you sacrifice your health so you can eat more food, well, we know that food becomes more of your God. All right? When you sacrifice the principles of God, to indulge your sex life. Well, sex life is your God. It's idolatry. What do you sacrifice? Do you sacrifice the principles of God for anything? Do you sacrifice the principles of God so that you can have a comfortable place 
then comfort is your God. Here we find Joseph's God, and it's not his sex life. It's not his, his prominence. It's not his comfort. When we look at Judah, we see the exact opposites. That those were his God, and it was not the God of Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. And here, Joseph is making a huge difference. And listen, when we are believers, we do sex differently. Uh, That seems kind of harsh. I'm bringing it out here. Why do I need to bring that out? Because this world tells you every day that it makes no difference. And we are woefully short and falling behind the message that the world is sending. Notice what happens. Judah, I mean, Joseph says, no, this is wrong. He says, because of my relationship with God, because of my relationship with Potiphar, I reject these things. I will not do this. I mean, and we think to ourselves, whew, boy, Joseph, man, he did it. And sometimes we think that life is like these one huge temptations. And that if we could just make it through this big massive moment of temptation, then we're going to be, well, we'll be free for a while. Well, read the next verse, verse 10. And she spoke to Joseph day after day. (laughs) That's when we start to think, oh my. And he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or be with her. Daily, he rejected her invitations, these temptations. Daily, he made a choice to obey God. Sometimes worship will be in moments like this. And we think, oh, this is nice and sweet. I can worship God. Sometimes worship will be in the place of temptation every day where you choose. I will honor God and not gratify myself. That too is worship. And daily, he had an opportunity to worship God. Temptation is not something that we enjoy, but understand temptation is a place where we can love God in that place. Or we can love ourselves or sex or anything else this world tells us that we should love. Daily. I look at this and I think, well, you know, sometimes Joseph's temptation is like ours in that it was daily. But it's also very different from ours in that it was forced upon him, whereas we often invite it. You know one of the realizations I've had in the last couple of years? I don't want to fall away. I don't want to fall to temptation. But sometimes in my heart, I want temptation. We're thinking, well, I don't want to fall to Mrs. Potiphar, but I wouldn't mind Mrs. Potiphar proposing to me. That would make me feel good. we got to watch ourselves. Jesus, you remember what he taught us to pray in his model prayer? You forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And we ask that God's kingdom come. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What is he asking us to pray? He's asking us to have a new heart desire. Just as we desire God's kingdom instead of our own, just as we desire Father's will being done, heaven's will being done in ours, to, to change our desires, he's asking us to change our desires so that we do not seek temptation, but that we will shun temptation, and that we will hate even the remnants of sin, and that we will get away from that. That's what you see going on in Joseph's life. It was a predetermined decision that he had already made that he desired God. And guess what? Joseph had not yet heard the Ten Commandments because they had not been given. What did he have? Well, you know, if you've been studying Genesis, he knew, though, 
that this was not something that he should do. Even Abimelech in Genesis chapter 20 knew that with Abraham. He says, why are you doing this great evil and trying, you know, it's as if you're setting me up with your wife and committing adultery. Even the ones who did not know God knew that. Isn't it amazing how in our society, how much we've fallen away? Or that's, oh, you know, we just got, found each other at the right time in our life. We both needed someone. And it was natural. We loved each other. Isn't it funny how we can justify adultery, our premarital sex, or and sex outside of marriage in general is what the Bible describes as immorality, sexually immoral. But we've got 10,000 excuses as why it's right. But even the pagans in Genesis chapter 20 knew that was wrong. Joseph understood these things, though he did not know the Ten Commandments. Why did he know these things? Perhaps it was the teaching of Jacob and, and Isaac and Abraham before him. But I think it has something more to do with the fact that the Bible says that the Lord was with him. He knew because God was directing his heart. But, you know, I stated how we make provision where this was kind of forced upon Joseph. Sometimes we find ourselves seeking these things. Longing not to fall, but just be tempted for a little while. We need to learn a lesson from Joseph and how he deals with this. Understanding that living before God's presence can bring problems, but... Having God's presence there will help you through those problems. I was thinking about this this past week as I was studying and thinking about Joseph being tempted day by day and thinking, boy, you know what? He really had it hard. And as I was thinking about these things, I was uh, working out in the gym and they have these rows of TVs all around. And I looked up from the exercise and I thought, oh, you know, I don't want to look at that. That has a little bit something too much sexual image going on. So I went to the next TV and, and bam, there are two. And, and the next thing I know, there's a row of about six or seven TVs. And they all had some kind of sexual inner windows on there. I thought, man, get my book. You know, just as we think Joseph had it bad. But listen, guys, you're aware. Ladies, you're aware. We live in the same oversex society that, e- that Joseph lived in in Egypt. It's there in front of us as well. What do we do? Though we see these things by sight, by faith, we believe that just as there is every sexual image on, on the screens and TVs and the computers and on the, on the radios and commercials, just as these things are billboarded around us, so too by faith, God's presence is there. Behind every billboard is the presence of God observing With every click on the computer is the Spirit of God observing. With every magazine, with every commercial, God's eyes are roaming to and fro, looking for a heart who is strong in faith, giving glory to Him. Friends, just as we are surrounded by the sexual temptations, we too are surrounded by the very Spirit of God. And the person of faith will understand these things and live before Him. But understand, though you may follow God, does not mean that life will be charmed. In fact, it may be even harder. What did Joseph do wrong? Not one thing. He was dealing with the sins of others, which sometimes is the hardest thing to deal with, with the sins of others and their uh, their mistakes and being brought upon you. And so here this woman is, uh, who is being rejected daily. <laughs> I mean, she's very forward. Not much subtlety here. Daily being resisted. And 
it just drives her on more. To the point, verse 11, it has this fateful day. Where it just happens that she was there and he was there by himself as he was doing his job in the work. And she caught that opportunity, caught him by the garment, said, once again, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled, which told me that she had a pretty tight grip. And he goes away thinking, you know, it's better to lose a garment than to lose my integrity. It's better to lose my job than to lose my integrity. Some things are worth more. What price? What price do you put on your integrity? What price do you put on your witness with the Lord? What do you compromise it with? Though he did all that he could, it still was coming back to him. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22 says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call the Lord from a pure heart. And so he too fled. James 1 verse 13 and 14 says, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The problem that we have is the problem within us. And we say, God, teach me. Teach me to pray like Jesus taught us to pray. To lead us not into temptation, but deliver me from evil so that when I see the face of it, I will flee. I will run away. Verse 13, how does she respond to this righteous man? Well, she, in verse 13, has a plan. Sally left his garment, called to the men of the household and said, Look, look what this Hebrew has done. He's tried to rape me and laugh at me and make a joke of me. And notice the, the barbs that she's putting into her husband. She blames it all on her husband. This my husband brought this guy in. <laughs> he is, has no respect for her husband attacking him. And then as she explains the story, verse 16, she tells the servants, what do you think the servants believed? (laughs) Servants have been there. They've seen this day after day. Any observant servant knowing this woman probably had their suspicions. But she kind of kept the the garment there. That was her only proof. And so when the master comes home, Mr. Potiphar comes home and explains it to him, verse 17. This servant you brought among us came in to laugh at me. It's your fault. It's your fault. In verse 19, as soon as the master heard the words, his wife spoke to him. This is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison. Kind of interesting uh, take in this. Now the Bible never really says who he's angry at. You assume Joseph, but that makes me wonder if Joseph was the only one, mainly because of the punishment that was given him. He was put in prison. Some of the uh, writings of that time are pointing back to that time, indicate that a moderate punishment for adultery was a thousand blows. Raping a free woman would be much more severe. But uh, he doesn't do that. He puts them in prison. And this prison... We find in Genesis chapter 40, verse 3, was in Potiphar's household. Remember, he is uh, the bodyguard, the chief of guards. It is his job to be the enforcer. When someone politically is a problem to Pharaoh, he takes care of them. Evidently, he has a place somewhere on his compound, on his house. Perhaps maybe it's the basement, a, a dungeon of sorts. But it seems to be within his household, according to Genesis 40, verse 3. And so, can you imagine the scene? 
I don't really want to get rid of this guy. <laughs> uh, he's been the source of blessing in my household. I'll keep him down here. Perhaps maybe he would come down from time to time and ask advice from Joseph. And here he was. The, guards, the guard keeper used to be under Joseph's supervision. And now Joseph, the former boss, is underneath the guard keeper. <laughs> you know, if you're ever in that position, you better make sure you took care of your employees. Because <laughs> it comes back to him. It comes back to him. And so he's put in prison. Now we've got the benefit of knowing the few chapters ahead. Joseph doesn't have that. He doesn't have that benefit. He's thinking, you know what? What's happened to me? I was the favored son of Jacob. I was the one that things were going to come to. And now I'm fine. I'm in prison. I mean, I thought things were going well. I I don't like being in here in Egypt, but I I made the best of it. I did the best that I could. I had the good attitude, and I I served him. I lived right. What, What problem, God? What did I do, God, to deserve any of this? And there he was in prison. Interesting. He could have very well have prayed as he was dealing with the day-by-day temptation of Mrs. Potiphar. He could have prayed. The Bible doesn't say, but he could have prayed, God, do something with her. Change her heart. Keep it so I'm not getting tempted all the time. (laughs) Well, guess what? Mrs. Potiphar isn't coming down to the prison. He's there. He's protected from Mrs. Potiphar. I don't know if he had that take on it, but that certainly was the result of it. Certainly was the result. I think that as Moses was writing this down to the people who are leaving Egypt and going to the promised land, it could very well be a type for the entire nation. Here, Israelites, you've been in bondage in Egypt. But friends, you, look look at the story of Judah. If you weren't in bondage of, of, with uh, in Egypt, you could have been like Judah, and we would have been mixed up. God would rather us to be in bondage, but be pure, spiritually free before him. And so Joseph experiences this firsthand. But we find, let's keep on reading, verse 21, that things repeat. There's symmetry between verses 21 and 23 with verses 2 and 6. Verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph. And showed him steadfast love and gave him favor. In the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. And whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. And the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge. Because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made succeed. Some of you guys read this like, God, please put a Joseph in my life. We see the symmetry that this happened once with Potiphar. Now it's happening with the prison guard. And here is the point. It doesn't matter if you're in the palace with with Potiphar or you're in the pit with the guard keeper. Nothing's changed. God's steadfast love is there. And he gave him favor. So what's the point? Let me tell you. We've talked about how living in the presence of God, living before the presence of God can bring you promotion. Living before the presence of God can bring you problems. But listen, living before God's presence is the point. That is the point. And so what do you say? Well, you know, if it means that I can have prosperity or I can have problems, I don't know if I want the presence of God. What are you saying there? When you say that, then you're saying, I'd rather have prosperity, pros- prosperous 
and comfort before God. If God cannot bring me comfort, if God cannot bring me prosperity, I don't need God because my God is about being comfortable. Joseph's learned, you know what? It's better to be in the prison, but to be before God's presence than to be in the palace and be before Mrs. Potiphar's presence. Mrs. Potiphar, she wasn't all-knowing. She wasn't all-powerful. Mrs. Potiphar gave her no promises for his soul. Mrs. Potiphar gave him no uh, promise that in him would be all the nations blessed. She is no God Almighty. And he understood that and knew the difference. Listen, temptation. One of the problems with temptation is that Satan makes us wholly unaware of God. And all that we see is the desire in front of us. Here's what we pray. God, may I continually live before you. Because the Lord was with them and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Sometimes we get so caught up in our career path. <laughs> what job should I go? Or what, what, what school should I attend? And God's saying, who do you serve? That's the question. You notice that last line? Whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed because the Lord was with them. That's the point. Whether there's problems and you live from paycheck to paycheck or debt to debt, or you live from, from bonus check to bonus check, it's not the point because your God's not prosperity. The God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You want to know what glorifies God? Glorify God. This is not to say that, you know, as long as God takes care of me and things are just as I define it as good, then he will be my God. The world sees that and realizes what it is and think, well, God's a lucky foot. Let me have a little bit of him. Maybe I can also have a Mercedes. But when you, in your difficulty, in your hardship, say, God has given, God has taken away. But praise God, he's here. And that's enough. That's enough. You want to know how to change the culture? You love the people you're with. And you love your God more. You do that. It's amazing how this area will change. Let's pray. Father, every day, the Satan, the deceiver, is searching our world, wanting to sift our hearts. And no doubt, Lord, we will go through the sifting as Peter did. But Lord, let us watch and pray that we will pray, Lord, give us a desire to shun even temptation, that we will not flirt with it, that it will be our pet to give us comfort. But Lord, let us be those instead that daily love you not in the comfort where everything goes exactly how we want it to go but in the crucible of adversity and the crucible of prosperity that will say we love god more how can we do this great wickedness and sin against you change our heart lord it's been too long with this world our lips are unclean, and we walk with a people who are unclean. And that uncleanness has get in our hearts, and we have crossed the bounds, and the dirt is upon us. 
But thank you, God, that you bore the price. You took the price of taking us out of the dirt of this world where we so often dig, cleaning us by the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, with your forgiveness and giving us your very Spirit. And so, as Jesus said, as we go and make disciples in all the world and these nations, lo, you are with us always, even to the end. Even so, Lord, let it be. I pray this in your name. Amen.